my great joy to introduce to you the three musketeers hailing from the land of remote work. We have Marissa, career coach and queen of all. We have Jeff, our sassy SEO shaman. And we have Diego, who has spent his 20s building a community of remote working lunatics. Sure, these folks are going to be the people that will get you beach commute ready. And they'll do it in the most exciting way possible. So, happy listening. Welcome, everybody, to the Digital Nomad Experts podcast by Beach Commute. Today, you've got me and Diego, and uh, we've been, we're going to talk about a topic that we've wanted to talk about for a long time, but it's been hard for us to wrap our head around because there's so many little subtopics within it, and it's going to be kind of tough to unpack. So today, we're going to attempt to talk about our predictions of the future of digital nomads, not just the future of digital nomads, but how it's going to impact uh, the world, how it's going to impact local economies, how it's going to impact uh, technology and businesses and hiring, something that we're constantly talking about, jobs and all that kind of stuff. So we've got some statistics, we've got some predictions that are based in our experiences and the things that we're seeing on the ground. Uh, so I think we've got a pretty interesting topic for you today. But before we do that, uh, Diego, how are you doing, man? What's going on? Thanks, Jeff. All good. All good over here. Just arrived in, in a new place here in Italy. We were in Gran Canaria for a month living with what I think was, I think, 25, 24 other digital nomads and then hopped over to uh, my partner and I hopped over to a wedding in Greece, uh, sorry, in Croatia and uh, mm-hmm. traveled through Italy to get there. Now we're back in Italy. And now figuring out our next plans are probably going to be either Barcelona or Lisbon. Everything is up in the air. But then finally back to Bali <laughs> to get settled. So yeah, really on the move currently. Oh, back to Bali. How long are you going to be in Bali? You were there a long time last Oh yeah. Time. Once And once I'm yeah. there, I don't, I hold on for dear life. I don't leave. So potentially until the end of the year <laughs> once we're, we're settled. Well, you might as well just buy there at mm-hmm. this point. You have to invest in some property because if you're going to keep going back, stop giving it to somebody else. <laughs> I think you're right. It, it hurts every time, yeah. Where, where are you at right now? <laughs> I'm in Tbilisi, so I was in, uh, we took a, been here about three weeks, okay. took a, a quick little detour through Armenia for an extended weekend, like four days or so, and uh, I'll be here for another couple weeks, and then, where am I going? God, it's hard to keep track. Oh, I'm going to Mexico City, and then to Oaxaca for Dia de los Muertos. Oh, that is, a, that is an amazing time to be out there. And you're actually in, in Tbilisi right now. You're actually there with a. There's a whole crew of of digital nomads there for a big meetup, right? So there must be like forty of us there. Big crowd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've our. I have to mute our what our WhatsApp chat. It's That's too wild. much. <laughs> it's one of those ones. <laughs> wait, wait too many people because I think you've got a Wi-Fi tribe chapter going on here right now. You had one before I got here. And now there's another one going uh, separately. And on top of that, there's a whole other group of people that were here anyways. So for whatever reason, Tbilisi is the spot. And it seems like everybody is here right now. And yeah, you can see it on the ground. There's digital nomads all over the place. What a, what a strange thing, right? Because it wasn't a country that was always pulling or a city or country that wasn't always pulling people in before. It just wasn't really on people's radar. It's uh, it's really interesting to follow all no. these trends because you know they, they typically get established within one year and then kind of like roll over into the next year and then and then there's the next hot destination right and it just keeps on sort of moving like that. Uh, it's really cool to watch see how this unfolds. Yeah, it's really cool. It's it's uh it's kind of out of the way. I mean, we were really really far east and not around much of anything other than Armenia. So it's it's not like. A little hop over from one spot to another just to check it out. It's a it's a full blown like you go to Tbilisi to be in Tbilisi. So it's it'll be interesting to see if this turns into another another spot. But it's got all the it's got all the, checks all the boxes everything that you're looking for. The like coffee games on point. A lot of places to work. Fairly cheap accommodations. Lots to do. Lots of day trips and stuff. So I yeah I I would imagine this one's gonna pop up on one of our lists that we do or or digital nomad destinations up and coming spots so yeah that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me at all yeah yeah we, we definitely have to dig a bit deeper into that one well speaking of of trends i do have i prepared just a few stats that i'd love to go through with us just as we're kicking this this session off because i think it might be really nice for us as we're looking into our predictions of the future of the space to kind of look at what the space is currently looking like and, and where we're where we're at these are always um, fun to to review so yeah, um, we were looking into a, a Qualtrics report that had been done recently, and uh, looked like 80% of employees that were looking for a job were looking for a remote job, so a job that lets them work anywhere, which makes sense, right? If you just sit 
sit there and think, hmm, what do I want? You're probably going, I'd like a remote job, whether that's so that I can travel the world or just so that I have the freedom and flexibility to be able to work from home, from a cafe, from wherever I want to, or to be able to be with family, which by the way is something that, that we've been hearing people talk about a lot more, just um, for people to be able to, you know, to hop to where their family is if they, if they would need to, um, to support them with something. Right. So that's that's an interesting fact in and of itself. Mm. And I think that's kind of also just leading employers to to try to meet that demand. And I will say that we've just been observing this space a lot, both as employers and as people obviously supporting people in getting their remote job, which is, you know, everything that that beach commute is all about. And also from Wi-Fi tribe side, I kind of observe how people are you know, getting new jobs or whether there's maybe a shortage of jobs, whether people are losing jobs. So we've kind of got our, our eye on this space from many different angles. So we've been seeing that obviously the market has been shifting from an employee's market to an employer's market, right? So now it's actually a little bit harder than yeah. it was before to get a job. People have been laid off a little bit as well. And so it, it, it has felt like companies have been a little bit more, you know, strict in terms of asking people to come back to the office or have been a little bit, you know, less less flexible than they were just a year or two ago when it was the, the tables were kind of turned. But generally speaking, if you're looking at it at a more sort of macro scale, you zoom out a little bit, you see that companies are allowing for more and more people to be working remotely and to be more flexible, right? So that that is definitely something that this, this trend has highlighted. And there was a a really interesting. Sorry, Jeff, you were going to add something to that. I was just yeah, I was just talking to Marissa about this on a podcast recently, and I think we are seeing a little bit of a pullback. Like some country, yeah. some countries, like a few companies feel whatever need to control uh, the environment and where their employees are working, and they're pulling back a little bit, but. Like anything, these things don't go in a straight line. Like there's a huge surge towards working remote and then it's going to pull back a little bit and then it's going to move forward again. But I think we can safely say we know the trajectory. We know which direction the line is going, but it's going to probably bounce back and forth for a period of time right now because there's a little bit volatile at the yeah. moment and we, we people are adjusting to it so it's not going to be a perfect straight line but i can say pretty confidently i think that line is going to keep moving into the direction of higher percentages and higher and higher and higher percentages of people working remote because i mean the can of worms is open people have seen it like it's, and it's not going back you know you know maybe a nice analogy for that is to, to think about sort of the stock market in general if you're you know hedging your bets against a bunch of stocks on a day-to-day -day basis it looks super mm. volatile even on a on a month-by-month -month basis it looks volatile but as soon as you zoom out across you know a decade you see that that trajectory is, is going upward right even though in the in the short that's a great term. way to put it and that, i think that's exactly what's happening with I it love as well it. Yeah. right so there's this this really cool quote that came out yeah. from that from the research that we were doing there from spotify which i really love and i think that this kind of sums up the the, the, the good fight you know the fight for for that kind of freedom which is work isn't somewhere you go, <laughs> it's something you do, right? And I think that's a really good good sort of quote to bring back to employers when they're yeah, when they're trying to, to push back. And this is I think a little sort of battle that that yeah, the three of us are are always fighting as well in and, and trying to push against there's this that just this, this idea from employers that they should have some kind of control over where you're working. And it personally it really frustrates me because it's it's control exerted over you that makes no sense, right? Sure, fair enough. If you have to work from somewhere where you physically do have to be there because literally you've got to move an object from A to B, fine, right? But if you're just sitting on your laptop in an office doing the same kind of work that you could be doing from home or from anywhere else, it feels like a restriction on your freedom that feels unnecessary or that is unnecessary, right? And that feels to me a bit like an abuse of, of power when it when it isn't necessary. It shouldn't be that way. And so I think generally just people are going to push more and more against that. So we'll see that, that shifting for sure. I think we're going to look back on this like many things and say, oh my God, I can't believe we used to do that. Yeah. You know, we're going to have, uh, right now we're kind of in the middle of the awakening. There's not a clear perspective, but if you go flash forward 20 years then look back we'll say oh my god this was it's like a modern day prison this was like why were we doing this that's absurd there's no reason to have people in the offices because i i think we would both agree that being present doesn't mean being productive by any means you know most people that go into an office are distracted by people talking to them all day and going in and out of meetings and a lot of people just kind of 
tune out and hop on Instagram and, and don't really do anything. And, and I could say the same could be true for people that work from home. Absolutely. I mean, that's I, I can't make the argument that people don't screw off when they work from home. But I think most of the studies do show that people are working longer hours when they work remote. They're working harder when they work remote. And they have probably fewer distractions around them because they've, you know, got an environment where people aren't coming by and doing the the water cooler talk kind of thing. So it, it, it is a little frustrating for me being in the middle of it as you're seeing it unfold and you're seeing these old school people fight against what's what's coming you know it's kind of reminds me of like when uber came along and the taxi drivers were fighting it. it's like well no this is a better thing we've seen a better thing we know this better thing exists and you're fighting against change mm. that you know is coming anyways yeah. you know it's like it's 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 there we're gonna look back on it and just be like oh that's that's crazy the idea of sitting under hospital lighting for eight hours a day five days a week and and driving your vehicle up to like i was three three and a half hours a day commuting that's insane when you can just do it all online that's insane yeah i got all riled up yeah it gets all of us right because it is something that just doesn't feel doesn't feel right it doesn't feel fair and i think there's a really simple argument for why maybe why companies feel it's necessary but at the same time also why it actually doesn't work a company um there's there's many sort of more old school companies that look at it as well if you're in the office then i can then i can control that then i know that you're working if your bum is on your seat i know that you're you're present and you're working, right? And at the same time, we know well, that's not necessarily the case. Sure. People are, are browsing. People are unproductive even, right? Whereas a company that has fully absorbed the remote work setup knows that they can't rely on that to control the effectiveness or the actual work that a person does. So they're fully rethinking how mm-hmm. to how to actually understand if a, if a person is working well or not. And their thinking needs to rely a lot more on what's the actual impact that this person is having? What's the output, you know? What is this? How is this person um, changing something for the company? Right? How is this person moving something forward? And so their style of management and their their style of sort of figuring out whether somebody is productive in, in the team and in the company is all around around those kind of metrics, as opposed to okay, Bob's Bob's come to the office. He showed up on time. He's sitting down. He's left at 5 p.m. He's left at 7 p.m. Even maybe he's done long hours. He must be a great worker. Perfect attendance award. Yeah, right. Exactly. Attendance versus impact. Yeah. So that's changing. Yeah, that's I would say thing. that. I would say that to my employees too. They, they, some of them would come to me and say, "Hey, I work a little bit better in the afternoons. Like my brain kind of wakes wakes up in a little a little bit later. Is it all right if I start later in the day?" And it's like, I honestly, I don't care. It's a it's a results based. Most of online jobs are results based. I really don't care when you work. If you miss your meetings or if you don't hit your numbers, then we have to talk and we have to take a look at like what your schedule looks like and if you if you can be trusted to work remote. But if you're hitting your numbers, uh, why would I care where or when you work? That anything beyond the hitting those numbers is just me power tripping yeah, and it's trying exactly. to gain control over somebody when it's completely unnecessary. So yeah, it's yeah, that's that's why I get kind of fired up about it. With that, what should we uh let's jump into some of the list of topics that we've got here, some of the predictions that we've got for where we think this this future of digital nomad life is gonna go. First thing we've got on the list is kind of like the antithesis of what we were just talking, the opposite of what we were just talking about is companies that will, a large percentage of companies we think might accept this more often. And I I think we do see that. While we did see the pullback most recently, I think the overall trend is more companies are going to accept this. And I think where companies are going to, we're going to see this as like a cultural thing where this is just the way of life. And it's it's going to become the norm. Like, whereas going to the office and, and wearing business casual and sitting in a cubicle was the norm. I think this is also going to become the norm. And I, th- I think that's going to happen for a couple of reasons. I think it's going to benefit the employee quite a bit. We already know we've talked about that at length because, you know, happiness, travel, all that kind of stuff that goes into that. But also from an employer standpoint, it benefits them to have empl- happy employees, but it also benefits them to not have office space. Office space is fucking expensive we were spending in boston at thirty five thousand dollars a month for an office where 12 people a day went oh, in that's enough. that's outrageous and then the office shut down and the company worked even better huh. it's like so it, it's absolutely financially in their benefit to do it it's one of those those expenses right where that person whoever made that decision looks back and goes oh shit i should not have gotten that subscription right 
it, it hasn't been used. It's pointless. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's wonderful to see that that's, uh, that's kind of a... It's a gym subscription yeah. you don't use. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and this also, I think as, as much as we've seen sort of some, some companies pulling, pull, trying to pull back a little bit, again, it's the cyclical motion, right? As soon as, as the, the market changes again a little bit and it's more sort of on the, on the employee side, on the job seeker side, a job seeker's market, um, this is going to shift again because companies are trying to attract the best talent. And at the end of the day, the best talent gets to dictate some of those terms as well, right? Especially if it's not just one person having crazy demands on, on their employer and saying, I want to be able to work from anywhere. But when there's a whole you know, crowd of people who are all very talented and very qualified for the role saying, well, this is actually important to me. And the company ultimately loses out on the best possible candidates because those are going somewhere else where a company does offer them that kind of flexibility. It starts to just, there's a domino effect and companies start to to adopt those things just to be able to stay competitive mm-hmm. within the employer's market, right? So um, yeah. that is definitely something to, to bear in mind that over time, it's uh, what do you call it? Isn't it that like a, a war of attrition? <laughs> like you're, you're bit by bit, right? We're we're scraping away mm. from that resistance in that in yeah. that sense. So yeah, I, I do have a very positive outlook on that. Yeah, a lot of times if you, I th- I think it's yeah, I think it's a very positive outcome. I think it's going to be driven by the money too. Yeah. I think it's a lot of these types of things you can follow what's going to happen with the money yeah. and yeah. then decisions can be made based on that. And fortunately, I, I think there's more money to be made by going remote than there is by keeping people in the office. So yeah. I, I think, I, I don't think that's a, a great way to live a life, make decisions based on money. But in this instance, I think the ends justify the means. Well, so I'm all for and it. And show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome, right? If the incentive is there for a company to make that shift, mm-hmm. the outcome over time, is going to be that change. All right, so number two, what do we got on the list? I'll, I'll let you take this Yeah, one. so that idea of, of having more diverse digital nomad hubs, right? So um, just places basically that'll be popping up in different parts of the world that aren't just those, you know, the Bali's, the Chiang Mai's, the, the destinations of Medellin's, the destinations that we've all known for a while. It's a pretty obvious um, sort of prediction that we can we can give you guys, and we're, we're seeing it live, right? We're seeing it unfold. Again, with Wi-Fi Tribe, our mission is always to figure out where are the next really interesting places that we want to go to, where we want to travel to. And so we've got a finger on the pulse of anything that is shifting in terms of that. And we've seen a ton of interest shifting over to, well, first of all, it was Europe, and everybody was all about Europe, and that was last year. This year, it's been a lot more of Eastern Europe, really interestingly. And Africa has really blown up in terms of interest, and we're expecting that trend to kind of continue into the next year. And then for Asia to start to make a comeback uh, in the next year as well, in terms of just interest of you know digital nomads where they where they want to go. But it's not just about the general demand of destinations and, and where people want to go. That's like a you know a, a new hot trendy destination. It's also about you know which of these destinations are not just going to be hot and trendy for a year or two, but are going to actually establish themselves as digital nomad hubs, mm-hmm. right? And the pressure there, I think, is coming, a lot of that is actually coming from countries, which is a first, by the way. Before the pandemic, countries basically did not care about digital nomads. There were so few of us that it wasn't in the mm-hmm. com- in the country's interest to put any effort or any thought into attracting digital nomads as a form of tourism, right? That's completely shifted around. And I think we're now at almost 50, if not more, actually, um, countries that have actively created a digital nomad visa program, which, by the way, before the pandemic, there was, was one. 50? Yes. It's Whoa. really blown up. Yeah, it was, what, Costa Rica was the only one? Or was it Portugal? Uh, no, it was Thailand, actually, was the was the first country oh. and before the pandemic. But now, you know, so many, lots of European countries, but 50. also countries in the Caribbean, wow. in Asia. It's, it's really, really blown up in terms of that. And they're effectively realizing that a new there's a, there's a new wave of tourism that needs to be catered to in a totally different way, right? You can't just you can't just say like, oh, do your summer holiday here. This new for- form of tourism can come all year round and they're actually quite valuable. They're typically also tourists that are a little bit less destructive in terms of how they're just kind of like taking something for a week or two or, mm-hmm. or sort of excessively partying or something like that. And they're more about, I'm gonna live here a little bit more slowly. They typically over time end up actually spending um, quite a bit of money in that place as well. And they're not you know coming in hordes and then, and then leaving in hordes. Um, they're a little bit more sort of evened out throughout the throughout the year, right? One interesting mm-hmm. stat on this was that the searches for nomad visa went up by 
2,400% over the last five years. So you can just see that there's a, there's a, a lot happening in the space that is causing people to even think about the idea that there are digital nomad visas out there that they can get in places, right? That was it. I'm telling you, that was not a concept three years ago. It's just, it's just come out of nowhere. You know what it's fi- I'm finding pretty interesting is that these, these hubs are popping up in spaces I wouldn't expect. You know, when I first started traveling, it, they were kind of logical places. Like they're really easy to get to. Usually the weather was really good. You know, I'm thinking Mexico City, Chiang Mai, um, Bali, Medellin, like easy places to fly to, good weather, cheap. But now it doesn't seem to matter where these places are. Like I'm all the way here in Tbilisi. It's way away from everything. It's, it's way out of the way. And there's 40 digital nomads here. And this could turn into a digital nomad hub too. It's it doesn't feel like distance away from anywhere matters. And I, it also seems like it doesn't have to be warm, necessarily warm weather places either. It seems that digital nomads just need a few things to create a hub. Like it needs to be a, a decent city center. There needs to be decent housing and there needs to be good internet. And the rest is digital nomads just seem to be curious about finding out about a new place. You know, like I never would have thought Tbilisi would pop up on a radar, but it it seems like an interesting new place when you're outside of working hours to go and explore. And there's, I'm wondering what's going to happen next. It, it could literally be anywhere. We're just in Armenia. And now I'm thinking there's no reason why that couldn't turn into a digital nomad hub too, because it satisfies the main criteria that we're looking for. It's good internet. There's really good housing. There's a social, there's a nightlife, all that kind of stuff. Why not? They can just kind of pop up anywhere at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I would maybe add just to, to our you know, obviously what we're trying to do here is predict where is all of this going and what, what's it going to look like in the, in the future. Um, to add some rationale to that, to that prediction, I think you really do have to distinguish between what is a destination that suddenly gains interest with digital nomads, like before social media influencers mm-hmm. would suddenly make a destination, you know, like a random destination that you'd never heard of popular next year. You know, Namibia is a great example. It was, it was all over social media next year. Namibia was hot destination for travelers in general, not just digital nomads, right? In general. And then yeah. it stopped being as popular as it, as it was, right? So it's these ebbs and flows. What I think makes a destination a contender for a long-term nomad hub these days is exactly what you said, Jeff. It's the fact mm-hmm. that it could be absolutely anywhere. So you have to ask yourself, why is it so random? Why is it not predictable? I think it's not predictable because actually what's behind <laughs> right. it is a person who is putting in heavy heavy uh, resources, time, and effort and really cares about turning a place into a hub. Right. So look at look at a place mm-hmm. like like Gran Canaria. We've got we're we're working there with as, as partners with. Um, this company called Repeople and, and Nacho there, he, he's the, the owner of that company. He's extremely vested in the, in, in the Canaries becoming a hub for nomads. So his efforts are there on an ongoing basis. He's hustling on an ongoing basis to make that destination mm-hmm. stick with nomads, right? The same is, go, is going on in Bensco and in, in, with a nomad fest. The fact that there is an ongoing effort of you know, this, this festival happening, plus the guy there wants to build out uh, co- further co-working spaces. Co- so there's this, this desire from someone's pulling the strings to basically make a destination stick, right? And I think that's why it feels random, because you don't know who's behind the scenes doing those things. That's really interesting. Keep an eye out for those. So I might just be seeing this as random things popping up on a map, but in reality, there, there might be conscious effort going into it to make these things happen. At least when they stick, yes, when they become hubs. That's, yeah, that's yeah. To- yeah, gotcha. That makes perfect sense. Awesome. Well, let's hop over into affordable housing challenges. I think that's a really interesting topic to think about in the future as well. Um, so we have already seen that housing in this year has blown up. So across the board for us, um, again, oh we're, God. we're doing... It's brutal. Yeah, and we're, we're traveling actively. We're feeling the pain of that. You know, this year traveling through Europe, it's hard to get a decent place for under hundred dollars wow. or maybe let's say even hundred euros that's like hundred and ten dollars a night you know just just to live in. like we're not talking about hotels it feels though as though normal hotels have now matched the price of an airbnb or something else that you're trying to find to just live in for a month at a time right the prices are absolutely bonkers i don't know if you've experienced it's like an long. artificial market that we've yeah oh my god everywhere i go yeah it's like an artificial market that's been created through travel yeah. that doesn't match 
the surrounding the the cost of living. A good example of that would be uh, Cape Town. Cape Town, the cost of living is exceptionally low. Going out to eat is very very affordable. Groceries are very very cheap. Taxis are very very cheap. Everything is housing is through the roof. I mean, if you were to rent locally and get a long term uh, rent, it'll be. It'll be commensurate with what you're seeing with the cost of living. It'll be normal. But if you're trying to rent like we do through an Airbnb or Hotels.com or Booking.com, the cheapest that I found was for uh, probably a low standard of living around 80 bucks per night. But generally, it was hovering around 100 bucks per night, which is absolutely wild when you see the cost of everything else there. So you can see very clearly this this huge disparity between cost of living and housing yeah that means there's this artificial market that's been created and it's just it's pumped things up like crazy and it's really unfortunate for everybody it's like it's not great for travelers and it's makes it even it adds a lot of pressure to the locals in that environment to try to find housing yeah when all the prices are getting jacked up and the housing is disappearing for them. Yeah. There's there's fewer places for them to rent because travelers are going to them. So I guess this would be a, a negative check checkbox in travel right now that hasn't I don't I don't know how that gets resolved. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, this this actually it's a it's a really crappy topic and, and it's one that I'm a little bit concerned about as well on a more macro scale if we again zoom out and think about what the impact is that all of us are having. What's basically happening is there is this flood of of wealthy or wealthier people coming into countries and looking for the best accommodation in the best locations in the best parts of the cities, right? And because of things like Airbnb, those areas of the cities are suddenly accessible to to this group of people, so to to digital nomads flooding in. And really what happens then is it's it's the classic market forces, it's supply and demand, right? So whatever a person, a price is put out, a person buys a price is put, and the price will keep on going up until that ceiling is hit, right? So very quickly, the, the price goes through the roof and you realize that you're spending, I mean, to put that into context, you were saying about $100 a night in Cape Town, right? That's about $3,000 a month in Cape Town, right? Where before yeah. you might be, you might have been paying $1,000 a month in Cape Town for a really good quality place. Like it, it could have, it, it probably easily 3X'd across the span of maybe at most five years, which is, which is absolutely yeah. insane. So it's not just that locals can't get housing in these areas anymore. It's actually that locals just go, I would be stupid to live here because I can make so much money by renting this out to a foreigner. And so it's not that they can't, it is that they choose yep. not to. And therefore, that process is one of many locals moving out, chasing an opportunity to earn more that ultimately then gets given to foreigners. Yeah, and that, yeah. that is a big challenge. I think the best thing that can happen for the future, which I do believe is also going to be something that will happen, is that we as, as nomads traveling on the world will start to spread out more, right? With better internet, with just more destinations becoming interesting and popular, with more destinations self-promoting and attract, trying to attract nomads, you're going to get the attention of all of these nomads to be spread across a lot more destinations. Mm. What's, so it's less, so it's less impacted in certain areas, is, and that's I'll ideal, see. right? The problematic situation right yeah. now is one where there are these influencers that are going there, and, and it's it's just natural, right? It's just again natural market forces that are that are at play here. Influencers going somewhere, they they are very excited about a destination. The next year, that destination absolutely blows up, right? So the best thing that we maybe can do is kind of go, okay. Y'all go over there. Let's find our own destination. It's like, don't don't chase the hype. Don't follow the hype. Go there <laughs> two years later when the right. hype has died down, right? And the prices have normalized again. Do it for yourself and do it for the, yeah. the local economy. I watched it happen in real time. I went to Medellin. I stayed in the same apartment two years in a row. Uh, it was a two-bedroom apartment in Poblado up in Provenza. So it's fairly expensive. The first time we stayed there, it was uh, for two people, 120 bucks a night. The next year, it was 170 bucks wow. per night. So it 50 percent jump in one year for the exact same apartment. And at that point, it's like, okay, uh, there's a big city. I'm just going to move to Laurelis. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, the apartments there, I think I was paying $36 per day. <laughs> Something yeah. like it, like it cut it in one quarter. So it's like these, you can really, really see these these highly impacted areas that are so popular, like you're talking about, um, when you take a step back and just move 
slightly out of that little area. Absolutely. Let's go to the next one here. Uh, this one's fresh for me. It's the basically the proliferation of co-living and co-working spaces. I think we need to break this into two distinct categories because co-living spaces is kind of a unique beast in itself. Like a co-living space is, is generally like this. Well, it can be temporary, but I think I think what we're referring to is like on the ground, like permanently fixed co-living spaces where you go and you live there and generally you've got your living quarters, you've got places to cook and you're surrounded by other digital nomads. And I just came from Serbia, this place called Mokran House. There was a good example of this. It was its own, it's like this own enclosed, basically like a drug rehab center. <laughs> it was like its own enclosed area where uh, it was it was kind of walled in. They uh, fed you your three meals per day. You had nothing to worry about. There's entertainment everywhere. And there was a co-working space inside. So it was like a fully self-contained unit. It was my first experience doing that in a fixed location. You know, I've done your Wi-Fi tribes uh, chapters quite a bit, and those are like semi-permanent locations. So it's a, a little bit different because it's, they're moving all over the place. And this is the first time I went to like an area that was fixed and it's been there for a long time. And they've got like kitchens and all these and all these kind of and people serving you and that kind of thing. So that was a really unique experience. And I, I don't have insight into whether or not these are popping up more, but anecdotally, I'm hearing people talk about going to these spaces more and more and more. So I'm wondering, you're a lot closer to that space than I am. Are you seeing these fixed locations pop up a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's hap uh, everything mm. in the nomad space has been blowing up. And so you can imagine that anything that that touches that space where it was five years ago, now we're in a new phase of creation. I kind of look at it as two waves. Initially, before the pandemic, I just thought there's going to be this pretty steady, slow crescendo of the nomad space as a whole. And with that comes any services, any any products, anything that's related to that, that where, where somebody, again, you know, market forces, where somebody can make money when they're seeing a trend, they're going to hop onto that trend, right? It's just what happens anywhere in the world, right? Very interesting in this space in particular mm -hmm. was that there was a disrupting force. It's what do they call it? The, the, the black swan event, right? Of the pandemic effectively, where seven to eight years ago was kind of when it, when it all sort of boomed uh, for the first time, but it was very, very niche, right? That's where we, when we started as well. In that time, we saw probably a hundred companies come and go that were doing something similar to, to what Wi-Fi Tribe was doing um, in terms of you know, mm -hmm. building community and, and traveling with, with people in community and those co-lives, for example, popping up in different places. We tracked all that and realized that um, probably by, by two years from then, only a handful, maybe six, seven at most of those had still remained. And then a few years later, it was even less than that. It had really consolidated. And then there was almost wow. no movement in the space, right? So it was kind of like the classic thing where a market explodes, all the entrants into the market are really excited. Um, they all start to come across all sorts of problems. They fall away and only a few companies remain, right? What happened with this Black Swan event of the, uh, of the pandemic is that it was like a restart of that whole process all over again. Because now the interest in the space had suddenly overnight just 10x. And that meant that everybody thought that there was huge opportunity in this space again. And so now we're seeing that same process, which I think is going to consolidate over the course of the next year or two again, in the same way that it did before, hmm. before it then um, starts to just be a slow, slower crescendo. And it keeps, it will always keep on growing and increasing, but there will be an explosion now that will kind of like deflate again um, briefly after that. Right. But yes, very interesting to think about mm. those those co-living um, spaces as pop-ups that are happening around the world. You have to also think about what's happening with tourism in general. The fact that countries are now promoting digital nomad things suddenly means that everyone's seeing it. Right. You're seeing it in, in the news. You're seeing you're seeing people, you know, everyday people talk about this. It's no longer this weird niche, you know, hippie thing where somebody is traveling out into, into the world and they're a weirdo. It's now very normalized. <laughs> and so that also means that you know, quote unquote, normal business owners are going, should I create a hotel? Should I set it up as an Airbnb? Or should I set it up as a co-live and potentially attract more people in that way? Or maybe if you're interested and passionate about the co-live space, you might also create it, right? You can just see that there's just, it's just created a new business model that that local owners are looking into. So yeah, definitely going to grow. Yeah, I've got no no doubt about that. And same thing, I think probably even more obvious than that is co-working spaces. 
And just to clarify that a co-working space is, is usually just think of like a large coffee, coffee shop uh, where it's acceptable to go there and work. And generally you'll, you'll pay a few bucks, um, sometimes 10 to 15 bucks on a day pass. Um, you can pay, generally you can pay monthly passes for these kind of things. And for the most part, what most people do is just get like an open desk and you go and sit there. You've got good Wi-Fi, you've got access to coffee. Generally, you've got meeting rooms where you can take calls from in a quiet space. And it's kind of like, <laughs> oddly enough, it's like going to an office, but you're not surrounded by your coworkers. You've just got all the access to things that you need if you need like a really easy space to work. And I'm seeing these things in every city that I go to at this point where I didn't before. When I first started traveling, I co-working spaces, no, it was just like you find a cafe and you hope that the internet's good enough. But now I, I don't think I've been to a city in the last year that hasn't had at least one co-working space in it. And on that note, I've seen the prices of co-working spaces go up substantially. When I was in Italy just two years ago, I think they wanted 300 euros for a month to work at this co-working space. And it was outside of Florence. Like it was like on the border. So it was maybe a 45 minute walk or something. But yeah, they're talk about business opportunities with the co-living spaces, co-working spaces, same exact thing. If they can charge those prices and they know people are struggling in coffee shops, oh my God, that's just such an easy cash grab. Yeah, and, and I would say also that the, the whole thing with WeWork, right? It has created a lot of interest in that space and awareness of it. And now it's a great opportunity for smaller entrants into the market, especially when WeWork you know, no longer is expanding as explosively and as aggressively. Now, a person who just owns their own building can turn it into a business model and it can actually work for them. That's, by the way, from a business perspective, something that works out really well for both co-living spaces and co-working spaces that are private owned is that there's no middleman, right? They're not paying rent to somebody and then are trying to make money on top of that. If they actually own the space or they're the operator of the, of the space, in a, in a more collaborative way with a landlord, it makes sense for them to run a small, you know, mom and pop shop type business built around co-living or, or co-working. That's one thing that we've been seeing as well that allows them to, to keep relatively, in, in quotation marks, relatively low prices or, or decent profit margins, which by the way, is one of the hardest things to do in co-working. As a business model, co-working, co-living is, is definitely one that's not, it's not so lucrative. It's quite, quite challenging. So um, I think it's, it's nice to see mm. that these, these, you know, single-owned places have a good chance against bigger um, yeah. bigger companies. Number five on the list, actually, we you actually kind of briefly covered this one, is the visa programs for digital nomads. And yeah, we anticipate that that's going to continue to grow. Like you said, pre-pandemic, we was one. And now I believe you said we're at 51 countries offering some sort of digital nomad visa. Is that right? Yeah, right around. So 50 plus. So it's, it's right around um, there. It's, it's really, but one thing I will say is it's, it's really blown up and now I expect it to, that line to flatten out. So I, I do think there will be more coming in, but I don't expect us to see, basically the countries that had an eye on it took action. And now there's a, a smaller group mm. of countries that are still thinking about it, still have an eye on it, but they're less likely to take action as quickly. So now we're probably going to see more of a drift. I actually don't have a good idea of what a digital nomad visa is. Can, can you break that down for me in like <laughs> in idiot terms so that I can digest it? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll be uh, honest when it comes to digital nomad visas. I don't know many people in the digital nomad space and we know thousands of people in the digital like nomad that, space yeah. that actually do a digital nomad visa, which is the, the crazy irony of the whole situation. So if you were to ask me, what is a digital nomad visa? I would <laughs> say it's a government <laughs> scheme or program to yeah. call itself a digital nomad friendly country and thereby attract digital nomads and get into the news for now having offered a digital nomad visa. So really, I would consider it almost mm. a little bit more of a gimmick to create interest and, and drive digital nomads into their country. Of course, you know, the legalities behind it and everything means that it probably will function as a visa that you can get in order to be in the country for a longer period of time. And, and you know, I'm not going to take any way, anything away from that, but I think primarily it's like a country putting a, putting, you know, a flag in and saying, look, we're, we're here for this too, and we actually want you here, right? Now, what it looks like in practice is yeah. it effectively allows people to 
Um, for, it might be that they can now stay longer in that country. It might be that they can, you know, officially engage in certain type of work in that country that they might not have been able to do before. You know, bearing in mind that in all these countries, there's a bit of a gray zone when it comes to working remotely, because often countries will define you working in their country as you working in their country with a company or clients in their country, right? So you actually basically on the ground working as something that would require a business visa, right? But where, but there's no real definition for you just sitting on your laptop working for a, co yeah. a company that's not in that country with clients that are not in that country that basically right. you have nothing, you're, you're effectively almost just a tourist, right? So that big gray area is now being turned into something a little bit more official, which I, I appreciate. And I hope that in the future, we finally get to the point where we will be able to pay, you know, a form of taxation, a form of taxes effectively for the number of days that we have spent in a country so that we can contrib contribute to the local infrastructure in that way when we're not doing that in our, you know, in whatever other country that we would otherwise be uh, residing in and, and getting those benefits from, right? So I, I think it'll slowly get there. It'll take a while though. Yeah, and if you get any questions about digital nomad visas, I recommend you just look up what it is for each individual country because I think it's gonna vary pretty significantly per country. So I don't think we could That's give you any practical advice on what they're going to look like for any given country you're just going to have to do your own research but it's if it was at one and it's in the 50s now yeah it's gonna it's gonna keep growing because countries obviously see the value in that the next thing on the list number six that i think has a ton of room for growth especially for united states uh, u.s based digital nomads is digital nomad insurance and what, what is a digital nomad insurance it's basically uh plans for digital nomads that's going to cover like health, certain aspects of like travel insurance and, and work-related risk type of stuff. So like if if you're going to get hurt, like while you're traveling, that kind of thing, you want to make sure that you're covered. And I think that could be a huge play with the U.S. market because at home, if, if you are still paying health insurance at home, you're looking at, I'm paying, I think, 550 bucks per month. And that's for like a very, very mediocre plan. And that's standard. That's just what you have to pay to have health insurance while you're at home in the United States. And while you're traveling, you can get something much, much, much cheaper. And a lot of times people are doing uh, medical tourism. Like I I've did that. I got work done when I was in Romania. I got it done when I was in Medellin and it was a fraction of the price. And I wasn't even using digital nomad insurance. So if I was, I probably could have gotten something way, way, way cheaper. So yeah, I think there's a ton of room for this to grow because we've got such a just a bonkers market in the United States. And it's people are really, really feeling it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then that next level of, of insurance as well is there's one thing is a travel insurance and another thing is an actual health insurance, right? So um, the health insurance covers you permanently wherever you are as you're traveling as though it was a normal health insurance that you had back home, um, right? So that's kind of the distinction. Yeah, I'll move us on to to the next one here, that, mm. that idea of technological advances and how those might have an impact on the, the whole nomad space. So obvious thing that many of us are already experiencing is 5G, right? And so more, and, and more satellite internet uh, just makes it a little bit easier to work in more remote destinations and just improves the internet, even, even within cities that you know don't have the infrastructure built out as well. Um, there's many places now where I just straight up just work off of my um, my phone. I just use it as a hotspot, and that's that's how I do my work now, right? Um, other places, of course, where the connect connectivity is good enough for that as well. And then there's there's also things like Starlink that are really making um, a difference in terms of where we might be able to work in the future. So I think that what you'll see is a lot more programs pulling people out of cities and bringing people back into nature and into these really cool, stunning destinations. I'm really looking forward to that because that'll also help out a little bit with the whole mm -hmm. housing crises in, in some of these um, cities. So yeah, looking forward to that that little change. Do you want to move us on to um, environmental consciousness? I think this is an interesting one. This, yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, technological advances, I, really nothing else to add on that one. I think that's a kind of a no-brainer, that's that's for sure. Environmental consciousness, that I see that a lot, and it's just kind of a, a mindset 
more than like it, it'll probably become action in the future but it's more of a mindset it's people thinking a little bit more environmentally conscious and thinking a little bit more a little deep more deeply about the places that they're going and how they're impacting the local environment so i i don't know like i can't, I can't look into the crystal ball and say like what are digital nomads going to do about it how are they going to act on the way that they're impacting the local um, environment. But I can say that it's like it's in people's mind, whereas I don't think it was so much a couple of years ago. What are you seeing on your end? Yeah, I can maybe give some interesting insight that's coming from from being um, half German, half Bolivian. And so in Germany right now, there's a bigger push than ever around trying to save electricity, around, you know, being conscious of of our electricity usage and, and fuel usage. And so there's there's actively this is this has been really interesting to experience. There's actively a bit of flight shaming, you know, going on, which is which is an interesting mm. development that I think I mean Germany's always been a country that's been very sort of environmentally focused, and I think that this is quite typical for also the Scandinavian countries. And there's a there's a you know a handful of those kind of countries where that's that movement has been happening a little bit earlier. I do hope that it's a movement that picks up in in more other countries as well because we we do need a sort of bigger concerted effort to to really uh, move the needle on some of these things but just the fact that we're seeing this happening in one country suggests that this is over time where more pressure will be will be placed and i do hope that it will lead to people you know maybe deciding to take a flight every two months rather than every two weeks right or maybe stay in a place even longer three months six months it's also part of that whole slow mad, um, you know, movement, which a lot of digital nomads end up in when they realize that they just don't want to be moving so quickly, right? So, should have put that on the list. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That should have been on the list. Yeah, slow madism. Yeah, and it's it's kind of. I mean, it's really. I think it's tied into this plus plus the lifestyle element of the the just the complexity of having to organize your travels so so frequently all the time. Um, but the other part of it is also how do we use electricity when we're in places. Right. So, you know, how much AC are we using? How, how conscious are we of, you know, switching off lights, switching off AC, switching off devices when we, when we don't need them? Um, and just generally building out a, a, an ide- ideally a higher co- a level of consciousness around that. Because we already, you know, we have to face the reality that we are using more resources than your average person because of the amount of travel that we, that we do. And that one ties directly into our number nine, which is a cultural impact. Like how by coming by bringing a lot of like most digital nomads, I'd say are Western are bringing these like Western ideas and ways of living into areas. And how is that impacting their local culture, the communities? And like, will it impact preserving their um their, their culture. That one's pretty near and dear to me because I, I hate it when I go to one of these hubs that we're talking about and you just see a tiny little America there. You see like a little digital nomad hub and there's it's just completely devoid of culture. And I think that's something we got to be really, really careful about and really aware of is like when you go to these countries and you see I'm, I'm sorry, but if you go to a Selena, like you're not really in that country anymore. You're now in a little digital nomad Western hub and you've lost the culture and the diversity. And potentially that hotel may have taken the place of some local where they may have actually had a local experience, a local cultural experience. So I, I think that's something that we can actually directly impact as digital nomads. Like be very, very conscious about where you're renting from. Be conscious about if you're going into it, this is something that I've gone on and on about. If you're going into a coffee shop, don't just spread out and do yoga in the middle of the coffee shop. That's not your home. Like this is this belongs to local people and you are a guest. And I think it's really, really important for us to consider ourselves guests in their country as opposed to just spreading out and, you know, making it our own. I get really passionate about that one. Sorry, I just kind of went bonkers with it. I, I love it, Jeff. Well, for all of you guys listening, um, this is one that Jeff does on probably about every third podcast episode. So um, <laughs> you will have had the honor to experience We've got this. too many listeners now. I can't get away with saying the same thing over and over again because <laughs> there's too many people that are going to call me out. <laughs> it's, it's your passion, Jeff. It, it keeps coming up. I'm here for it. <laughs> uh, 
I just don't. Yeah, I, I just don't. I just don't like it. I, I really. If I can take flip that and take a positive note, something that you can do that's really really good is a lot of times if you hop on Airbnb experiences, you can find really really cool local cultural things to do, like uh, cooking classes in people's homes and that kind of thing. And that's a really good thing to do to be able to appreciate the local culture and also give dollars to the local community. You know, it's not going to um, some big corporation that's, um, you know, a westernized type of corporation. You're still keeping it local within the local communities. Okay, last one. Awesome, yeah. Uh, oh, that's actually pretty tied to, yeah, go ahead. It's pretty tied to the last one I was just talking about. Yeah, and, and really something that we touched on before as well, but it's that idea that there's going to be a certain imp- economic impact on countries that are welcoming digital nomads in, right? And at first, the easy argument is to say, well, digital nomads are going to inject more money into the local economy, right? But the other side of this coin is that it can lead to inflation and income disparities if it's not actually being managed properly by that country, right? And so there's there's a great example I find in, in Bali where basically you're in Indonesia, where you're not allowed to own a property as a foreigner. Instead, you are only leasing it off of a local. And so if you've built out a great business on that, you know, on that land and that, and that property, yeah. and suddenly the whole area starts to blow up, you know, and you as a foreigner, you win, right? That's what happens everywhere around the world. You, you made the bet, you understood what was happening, you had all this insight from the outside, you had all this money and resources from the outside, and you just win, right? And you take it all, right? And the local who sold you that piece of land for peanuts um, feels great in the moment, but then looks back at it 10 years later and goes, holy crap, if only I'd held on to that property, right? I would have actually been really well off financially. Now I just exchange it for nothing, basically. But what happens in Bali is that there's a certain time limit to that. And it's, it's I think, pretty decent. I think it's some, something like 30 years. And of course, you can have longer leases as well. But that means that that area could have then appreciated and that person would have effectively effectively just regained their land, their property after that time. So as a business owner, you come in and your time is ticking and, and that's fine. You have to you know, always calculate with that as an investment strategy as well. But the local gets to get that back and then gets to be in this, this you know, ideal location and then gets to build up their own business there. So I find that to be a really interesting way to protect locals from that and to, to spread out that, yeah, just that value again. But uh, hopefully the other big thing that we can, that we can all do and that countries hopefully will do as well is to encourage nomads to spread out a little bit more across the different really interesting parts of their of their countries as long as they they find ways to to build that infrastructure in, in smaller towns and and co-works or co-lives or little cafes like all it takes is a few basic things you need a gym a cafe uh you know a bar or two a few restaurants and and any town can become interesting to to a group of digital nomads being there. Yeah, any thoughts on that, Jeff? Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, no, that's 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 pretty much it. That's everything I can think of, and will be interesting to see what I, I feel confident that we're pretty dead on with this list, and we're seeing it happen on the ground, anyways. So well, I think we should revisit this in a year, and we can see how well we did with our predictions. And of course, uh, anybody uh, listening in, if you've got any other ideas on where you think this movement is going uh email us we love correspondence with you guys we get emails from you guys all the time it's hello at beachcommute.com um i love to read it so yeah send it in and uh we'll check in again diego let's just mark on the calendar a year from now we'll we'll do a status check and see how we did on our list i love that as a brilliant idea and then we can bring out a few more points for the next years all right thanks everybody thanks diego it's been an awesome chat and we will see you again next week Mm -hmm.